The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. What separated your deep ball from everybody else? My deep ball, it has a little secret sauce to it, man. <laughs> I never get too high, I never get too low, but just keep moving. The, the whole story is Carlos never beat me in any kind of sports in, in, in high school. Welcome to New Stripe City, a YouTube channel for diehard Bengals fans. But this is the Orange is the New Black podcast. I'm your host, Ace Boogie, joined by my co-host, Zim Hooday. Zim, say what's up. Hello, world. I'm I'm really, really excited tonight to get into part two of our PFF co-op collab series that we're doing tonight. We've been blessed with the presence of Eric Eager, PFF Eric. Hold on. Actually, am I saying that right? Actually, you tell everybody where they can find you at um, on Twitter and, you know, what, what you got going on currently before we even start off anything. Yep. Uh, I'm Eric Eager. I uh, am. I run the research and development wing of pro football focus um and uh yeah i'm at pff underscore eric and um what i was gonna say uh what don't you have your own site too though what your site is just using you know like a link tree with just different other things because i was reading up a lot of different stuff even ace was looking at some stuff on because he's in the coding world with you yeah, I mean, I have like I, I have a uh, a data camp course on data camp. Like, I have my own websites. Uh, the link is in the uh, in my bio. Um, usually, uh, usually, like if I'll get inquiries and stuff, somebody will go through that. I prior to being at PFF, I was a math professor, so like I had my own website and stuff. So I just kept kind of uh, kept that kept that going while at PFF. But most of my work, like I don't have an individual blog or anything. Most of my work is is on pff.com and 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 obviously uh very thrilled to uh start i guess this is like my sixth year with them uh which which is kind of great we we went we've been you know at the beginning it was probably something like 50 full-time employees and now we're probably in that more like triple of that so uh growing and and obviously uh uh representing for cincinnati uh, in the otr 
Facts, I, I, facts. I know some guys over there. One thing that I wanted to, I wanted to ask you that before we get into any of the football stuff is, is there a crop top website <laughs> or something that you're doing? Because when I, I don't know if you guys have seen the imagery or the artwork for tonight's show, Eric is the leader of the crop top gang, or it's so it appears. I am. Yeah, there, there's a there's a couple funny stories. Um, back when I was earlier on in PFF, my um, my boss was angry with me about something that wasn't my fault. Um, to to try to um, make to try to uh, make amends with me, he bought me me and my my one of my best friends and and my podcast co-host George Shahuri White Snake tickets um, because one time I said I like the White Snake song. Uh, we went to a concert in Dayton, which is like the first time I've ever been to Dayton. Um, but then at the NFL scouting combine in Indianapolis that year, I was, uh, as I want to do, I impromptu started roasting my friend George uh, in front of everybody. And George George bet me uh, because I, I made fun of the fact that he only eats the, like George, the only thing that George will ever eat at in Cincinnati is Jeff Ruby's. Like he will not go beneath Jeff Ruby's. And so, uh, the, my boss bet George, the fact that, uh, he thought I could, uh, push press 225 pounds, um, because he saw me, uh, he, he saw me do it before. And, and, uh, and if I could do it once, then George, George would have to eat like Donato like pizza that he hated or something like that for a whole week. <laughs> and if I couldn't do it, then I had to wear the crop top on the podcast and I think it was a military. Pre- He's seen me push press before, which is obviously easier because you can use your legs. Military press, you just have to use your arms. And I think I got to like 215, but I couldn't get 225. So as any good person does, you pay up your bet, which for me was to expose my midsection on my podcast. <laughs> no, that's facts. That's facts. Uh, so kicking things off, uh, I think, Zim, you had a pretty spirited debate earlier today on Twitter. So is there something about the wide receiver position that you want to ask him about? Well, I, you know, I, I do defer to, you know, the smart people because I'm not amongst the smarter elites of the world, but that's why I defer to the analytics in some of that stuff. But a lot of that stuff to me is like, uh, make a long story short, a lot of different times because black and orange Bengals get a bad rap on everything. I think it's very, very common that, it's very easy for people to pile up on position groups that don't do really well. But there comes a time and a place, and if you study the history of the Bengals, they're always really, really good at the wide receiver position. I've been on record to call them a wide receiver university. But because that doesn't mean wins, I think a lot of people called me a homer by saying that I felt as though the Bengals were the second best core, core, just wide receivers in the National um, Football League and the, the reason why is because every single tandem or every single trio or quad that I could find in the National Football League, a lot of them are either coming off of an injury or aging. It is a very rare scenario where you have companies like PFF charting three guys on slate, on target to get 1,000 yards, and then combine that with the actual fantasy football world that most people play where they're drafting all of these guys around two, three, four. Maybe some get down to the fifth. It's very few teams in the National Football League that can say that. 
Eric Eager would have you – what do you say to that or that well, argument, I guess? And a former Bengals wide receiver writes my check, so I'm certainly uh, willing to, to sort of side with you guys. I know on your intro you had Jeff Blake, and Jeff Blake threw a lot of deep balls to Darnay Scott and Carl Pickens back in the Ooh. day, and those were, those were two great receivers. Um, obviously, TJ and even Terrell Owens played. For, you know, so I, I, I think you guys have a point. Um, it was really interesting preparing for this. Um, I looked at receiver pairs. And I look at somebody like Boyd and Higgins. I, I've I've been on the record like I'm a Boyd lover. I think Boyd is one of the best slot receivers in all of football. Um, and I would put Boyd and Higgins themselves in the top ten uh, of receiver pairs. And and so then if you extrapolate from that, so like who would be ahead of them in pairs? Hill and Kelsey. When you add Hardman to that, I don't think that's better than you know necessarily than Boyd. Like I I think Boyd Higgins and Chase are better on the average players better so well, like Kelsey's you, a tight end Kelsey's a tight yeah, end and Kelsey's a tight end although he barely ever plays there but you can sort of like look the fact that we're talking about the three-time AFC championship game participant wide receiver group and the Bengals that's like a pretty good thing you look at the Tennessee Titans now they have Brown Julio Jones um and uh I'm, I'm blanking on his name the former Ram who almost signed with the Chiefs but they you know that again, I don't necessarily know. Like I, on the top end, um, you know, Josh Reynolds. On the top end, I I think AJ Brown and Julio are better than the Bengals' first two. But I, when you add that Josh Reynolds in there, I don't think I think the Bengals are in the conversation there. Um, you look at Jefferson and Thielen. Like Chad Beebe is not going to like. I think Jefferson and Thielen are both good, but Thielen's aging, and Chad Beebe is not an NFL receiver. So I think the Bengals are better there. Uh, Godwin and Evans now. Godwin Evans and Antonio Brown, Still. Tyler Johnson, um, Jalen Darden from North Texas, and then uh, Scotty Miller. The fact, like, I think that one is, you have to you have to give it to him. Metcalf and Lockett, like Lockett's a first half of the year player. Like I I do, and I don't really know who's going to be the third receiver. So I think the Bengals are better there. I, I think the I think you can make a case for Buffalo. I think Diggs, Beasley, um, uh, Emmanuel Sanders. And then you go all the way down even to the dude from uh, UCF that scored seven touchdowns last year, Gabriel Davis. Like, I think they're a little bit better. Um, In L.A., you have Woods, Cup, and and then maybe Deshaun Jackson, maybe Tutu Atwell. I think Woods and Cup are great. I would put them ahead of Boyd and Higgins, but not by that much. So, like, you you get – you start talking about this, and I do think they have a possibility of having a top-five wide receiver core um, going into the season. And then when you think about it, Adding Riley Reef, the guy who only gave up one sack last season as a member of the Minnesota Vikings. Um, obviously, Jonah Williams coming back year two of being healthy-ish. Um, you know, more comfortability in the offense with Burrow. Oftentimes, quarterbacks later on in their rookie deal will do a better job of thwarting pressure. This could be a good offense. I, I, I There's no doubt about it, especially when you add in the idea of having Joe Mixon for, for 16, 17 games. That's a, that, that's a pretty good offense. You talked about Riley Reef, and obviously all eyes obviously are on the receivers, but they're also on the Bengals offensive line. And generally, you kind of give your rankings on where you kind of project certain position groups to finish. Where do you really see the Bengals offensive line as a whole finishing in 2021? I, I think it'll be better. Like, I know, um, you know, we, we grade the individual guys, um, and, you know, I think Riley Reef's a little bit underrated. Um, I, I think Jonah Williams, you, you talk about position groups, 
year three, year four is really where some of those elite guys end up doing better than they had in year one, year two. Now with Williams, we just didn't have him playing year one or most of year two. Um, the interior is going to be a little bit rougher, but like, again, you have year three of a play caller and Zach, uh, Zach Taylor of year two of a quarterback in burrow. I think what we're going to end up seeing if you're bullish on the Bengals at the end of the season is, wow, we really had a lot of concerns about that offensive line, but they, a lot of them didn't come to fruition. And like, that doesn't make these guys great players. It just means that, you know, the decision that the Bengals made to take Jamar Chase at five instead of Panay Sula at five is probably warranted. If your guys can get open in two and a half seconds or less, then you can get rid of the football really quickly. And, and offensive line play is less of a big deal, right? And, 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 and you look at one of the real great anecdotes I like, you look at Kansas City a season ago, 14-2, and two, two playoff wins against the AFC, 60% of their offensive line was out the majority of the ga- of this, of this games for them. Hill and Kelsey are two of the best guys at separating in two and a half seconds or less, and it lulled us into this sense of security that as Chiefs fans, and they, they're fine. They're going to be fine with bad offensive line play because Mahomes can go one, two, three, bam. When he hits his back foot, one of those guys is open and backup offensive linemen can do great work. In the Super Bowl, the Bucks, drafting seven defensive backs in the first two rounds of the last three drafts, were able to cover Hill and Kelsey. Secondary players like, like Sammy Watkins and McCole Hardman unable to go open, and that's when the offensive line deficiency started to show up. So if you're a Bengals fan, you say, okay, if I can get 17 games out of Higgins, out of Boyd, um, and, and out of Jamar Chase, and Burrow, when he hits that back foot at 2.5 seconds, if one of those guys is open, I think you'll be amazed at how good that offensive line can look. While I got you on that subject, because one of the arguments that I have for 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 fans or whatever is just where – there's a lot is a lot to what you just said one of the main things that i always have is that by us taking jackson carmen for example in the second round it's probably like the sweet spot for really good teams to take a guard right or like uh, Mm -hmm. a tackle that you're projecting to play guard or whatever right that's the sweet spot the drop off from panay to let's say uh um uh, a, a Wyatt Davis or a, a one of the higher tier guards that were in there. Jackson it, 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 or, or Jackson, <laughs> Car- Let, let's use Jackson. Car- the drop off from that. How does that translate onto a football field? Because one of the main things that I always say to people is that this is in 1991 and guys aren't taking seven step drops in the NFL. Mm-hmm. So how does that equate? Like, what is the drop off? What do, is there, how many less pressures, how many less sacks or like, what does that look like by having a guy that, you know, that we're looking at, at like Panay Sewell that is marginally thought to be better than maybe a Jackson Carmen or something like that. Does that equate in wins? Does that like, how does that articulate to the football field? Yeah, that, that, I think that's really, I think you're thinking right up my alley. Whereas, you know, with tackle, Think about all the things that have to go right for a tackle to have value, right? He has to not jump off sides. He has to block the player in front of him. And then behind him, the quarterback has to make the right read, throw a ball, receiver has to catch it, make yards after the catch, and so on. Think about the division of credit in that play. Like the quarterback is the most valuable player on that play. The wide receiver is probably second most valuable. And the tackle is third-ish, right? And 
if the tackle does the exact same thing and the quarterback airmails the wide receiver, like the diff the differences in plays are immense, right? Now there are now there are going to be plays where the quarterback is going one, two, three, throwing to Jamar Chase for seven yards, positive EPA play, all that kind of stuff. And the tackle could get his ass kicked on that play. And it doesn't matter one iota. You know what I'm saying? So like the hard part with tackle is there are limits to how valuable they can be. The most valuable tackles in the NFL on a year-to-year basis are worth about a win. A half a win, I'm sorry. So a half a win. The most valuable wide receivers, the Devontae Adams of the world, are worth about a full win. And, and, and so when I think about this as a Bengals, if you're a Bengals fan and you're thinking about how, we're in a division with two really good football teams in Cleveland and Baltimore, how can you're not going to get to where you want to be by adding incremental value players like a tackle would be because because also you have to look at it over replacement player and you have to you only get one tack left tackle on the field at a time or one right tackle depending upon where they would have played Sewell but you have to think about what is Panay over Jonah Williams what is Panay over Riley Reef and if I slide Riley Reef into guard what is you know Jackson Carmen over Riley or you know and those are incremental whereas if you take like look the Vikings in 1998 had Jake Reed was a four-time 1,000 yard receiver Chris Carter was the third all-time in receiving touchdowns when Moss was drafted and Moss blew the top off of everything right like that's that's what you get at a wide receiver position where it's you know and AJ Green did the same thing right like in 2011 when he came in you had quarterback on rookie deal. You had superstar wide receiver on rookie deal. And what did you see the Bengals do? They they got Whitworth at Price. They got you know they got uh, Burfick. They got um, Michael Johnson back after he went to Tampa. They got Carlos Dunlap. They they add all these. If you take the really valuable positions, and you and you beef them up with rookie contract players, then the stuff that you have that's weaker, you can go out and buy it. And you can buy it for less. If you want to go on the open, you know what the Andre Hopkins cost? Like everybody talks about the second round pick and that right. being cheap. No, he cost $27 million a year. Like that trade and signing was actually expensive for Arizona. Right. If you want, if you want to go out and get Julio, you got to trade a second round pick and he's 32 years old. Jamar Chase, the fifth round at uh, the fifth overall pick is such a surplus value. Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow made half as much money last year as Teddy Bridgewater did. Like when you have, when you have those guys at price, then you can go out and this is where like, I I've given the Bengals a lot of flack, but I'll give them a ton of credit the last two years. They saw the rookie quarterback window and they went out and they got Trey Waynes. I know that didn't work out quite as well, but he'll play again. They went out and got Mike Hilton, the, the Chidobia Wuzie, uh, Trey Hendrickson. I know he's replacing somebody, but they, they got DJ reader. Like they were going out and saying, we've been weak at positions and what we're going to do is take gambles on the most valuable positions in the draft where the blue chip talent is for cheap. And then we're going to pay for the band-aids around the rest of the roster. And I think it's a great move because again, if you get, you know, one win uh, above, above replacement out of Jamar chase, I mean, you're in the playoff hunt in the AFC and like, and, and you can't say like Joe Thomas played in this league for 10, 12 years, best left tackle in football. Cleveland didn't touch the playoffs because nothing like who cares if you complete a pass rep perfectly, if your quarterback stinks or your wide receivers can't get open. Like that, that's why I think the pick for the Bengals was, was a good one. And, and I, I think a well-reasoned one and one that, you know, if we come up for air in a couple of years and they're competing again in the AFC, like we'll, 
we'll look at that and say that was a good that was one right. of the reasons why we had a really good debate i don't know if you've ever caught it it was called the civil war we had your guy evan mcphillips on there one time yeah. but uh but we we took a really really deep dive into that for a while and it was really really crazy but i love like you had some really really good points right there yeah, definitely, especially the one about Joe Thomas for sure. Now, you said some nice things about the Bengals, but I really want to ask you about the Bengals' defense. And you can be honest about it in terms of your projections for the Bengals' defense and where you expect them to finish in 2021. Uh, you know, it's going to require, I think, a little bit of – it's certainly going to require some um, progression from players. Um, Hendrickson, I think, is not as good of a player as Carl Lawson – um, I think Larry on good Joby is a good player. DJ reader is a good player. Um, you know, at the linebacker position, you, you know, there's there, you need quite a bit of work there. Uh, not necessarily. You, you don't need to acquire players, but you need players to step up. Linebacker though, is one of the least impactful positions on defense. And, and, and so, you know, I, I kind of appreciate their approach the last couple of years of sort of drafting those guys and hoping like some subset of them develops where, where I think you're, you know, where I think things get a little bit interesting is looking at the defensive backfield because, you know, Jesse Bates full stop is one of the best defensive backs in all of football. You have him commanding the defense. If you add to that, like what they've got, they got Bon Bell last season from New Orleans, a okay football player. Um, you know, they got Ricardo Allen from, from Atlanta who, um, you know, has played well at times, I think is probably best suited to be a third safety and sort of like a base nickel type of thing where he's kind of replacing a linebacker, you know, hoping Von Bell can fill in on the run. You look at cornerback, and that group has the potential to be a group you can win with, right? Like Eli Apple has had bad seasons. He's just like any other, a lot of other corners. He's streaky, right? Like you lose William Jackson, who has gone, you know, average corner to brilliant corner every other year, and you replace him with a guy who I think is just like a little bit less brilliant in his brilliant years and a little bit less average in his average years. And guys like Apple, guys like Trey Waynes, who I know you know and missed last yeah. season, but he's a very solid player. Mike Hilton's one of the, I think, most versatile and best nickel sort of inside guys in football. Um, and then with Darius Phillips and Awuzie, you're hoping one of those guys ends up being good. If, if And that's what secondary play is. Secondary play is very much, I got to find five or six guys that are reliable. And I don't really care who they are. And I'll give the Bengals credit on this as well. They've thrown numbers at the problem, right? Which you, where you don't want to be. And again, this is where like, I look at Kansas city, maybe this is a leap for Kansas city. I look at Minnesota. I think the same thing. When you say, these are my five guys and I don't have a ton of depth, you leave yourself open to some, some bad, bad play, right? If you put eight or nine guys that you're kind of comfortable with and you say, I'm going to let five guys emerge here as my defensive backfield, that that's a good thing. I think that helps in, in much the same way as I believe wide receiver play sets the table for offensive line play. I think defensive back play sets the table for pass rushing. I think if you can make the quarterback pat the ball because your secondary can take him off his first read, it'll make your entire pass rush better. We've seen that with the Ravens. We've seen that at times with, with Pittsburgh as well. And I think the Bengals sort of have that right idea in the sense of sort of building from back to front and yeah, taking a chance on Hendrickson, but mostly building, you know, building a, a solid back seven that I think can, you know, can make some quarterbacks, you know, think a little bit as opposed to the previous years where they kind of had free access to open players. In, in regards to the rest of the league, for someone that's sitting at home and saying, well, Awuzie and Trey Waynes aren't better than da 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 da, right? 
Mm-hmm. Uh, two part question. Looking at the Chiefs early Pat Mahomes years, like when they when they would go, you know, I think that that first really good year went out early, right? Their defense to me was not even on paper, probably not what the Bengals are right now, right? In my opinion. But speak to, I guess, like the the Kansas City Chiefs, the way that they kind of uh, Pat Mahomes, their situation is what I call it now. Like how they how they went about constructing their rosters as far as their secondary and their defense, where they went. It to me, it seemed like they went offense heavy first, and then let the defense kind of catch up throughout the years. And then the yeah. next part is, what do other secondaries look like compared to you know like what's the cream of the crop secondary? Because there aren't many like when you look at Eli Apples of the worlds or Awuzie's or whatever. To me, that's all around the league. Uh- 100%. I mean, you look at Kansas City, right? So Kansas City, when they were transitioning, so early on in the Reed era, they were very good. They had Brandon Flowers. They had Sean Smith. They had Marcus Peters. They had got, they had really blue-chip talent in the secondary. And as they transitioned from Alex Smith to Patrick Mahomes, part of that transition was, okay, we're going to throw – and this is this has some Bengal stuff written all over it. We're going to throw $16 million a year at Sammy Watkins to be our number three guy. We're going to throw, uh, you know, a ton of money at Mitchell Schwartz. We're going to, you know – um, and we're gonna let the we're gonna let defense kind of just do what defense does, which is just oscillate year to year, right? Like you look at defense, you know, Minnesota signed Kirk Cousins because they thought they had the best defense in football, and then it falls down to nine, and all of a sudden Kirk Cousins isn't good enough to get you over the hump because defense is just something. I mean, even the Bengals, like you know, 2015, I remember. I mean, like I, I did a lot of Bengals games in 2015, and that team, you know, with Darquez and and uh, Drake or Patrick and George Iloka and Vontaze Perfect, Vincent, like they were good. They were good defense. And like the thing about defense, though, it's it's mostly about all of your players sort of being above a certain threshold more than it is eliteness, right? Like once Geno Atkins stopped being on a defense where the secondary was, you know, competent, he he wasn't as you know effective because he had to cover. Like Jesse Bates is amazing, but I can guarantee you. If the other four guys in the secondary are good enough, he could have three or four more interceptions a season because he's not covering up for other players' deficiencies. And and I think that's one thing that I'll say about Kansas City that they kind of I believe there are some issues. Obviously, I think the Frank Clark trade wasn't good and everything, but I think they understand that if you have a great offense, you need just to you need to find eleven guys and specifically five six guys in the secondary who just don't kill you. And don't take huge gambles. Don't take, you know, don't take humongous swings of the bat. Find 11 guys for modest prices that won't kill you. And, and you know, and that's tough to find around the league. You look, I, to me, I think that this, the standard for secondaries in the NFL, you either have to look at Baltimore with Peters, with with uh, Marlon Humphrey, I think it's one of the best players in football. Um, you know, but they, they lost Earl Thomas last season, and it's a little bit creakier back there. We saw some deficiencies. You look at Denver. Uh, I think uh, Justin Simmons and Jesse Bates are kind of in similar classes as far as safeties in the NFL. But you look, they got Ronald Darby. Uh, they got Kyle Fuller from the uh, Chicago Bears. Bryce Callahan's one of the best nickels in football. And they use a top 10 pitch, pick on Patrick Sertan Jr. So like that, that to me is a, a defense where you have four corners who can all start. And if one guy gets hurt, you're not going to get killed. And if one guy sucks, like if one guy has a bad season and you, and you have to take him out, you're not kaput. And uh, another secondary, and I know you guys aren't going to like this because they got William Jackson, but I do think Washington's going to be pretty good. Um, they got Kendall Fuller, who went to Kansas City, won a Super Bowl, went back. 
Um, they got Cameron Curl at safety. They got Landon Collins at safety as well. Um, I, I think they're fairly solid as well in the defensive backfield. Um, you know, like you said, though, every other team, they're just praying. They're like the Bengals. They're just praying that some subset of five or six guys works out. Um, and, and that can certainly happen. And we've seen it happen. Um, um, but it, it's it's tough. Tampa Bay is another one. Tampa Bay spent a lot on their secondary and uh, in terms of draft picks. And, and a lot of them hit Carlton Davis, Sean Murphy Bunting, uh, Antoine Winfield's son. Uh, like all, you know, all that, I, I you know, it, it's a concerted effort there. And I think the Bengals, to their credit, have made a concerted effort. And even when Wayne's got hurt last year, Alexander got hurt, that you saw like the bad end of variance. Um, if those guys stay healthy, you know, Alexander's gone. But if Wayne stays healthy, then I think you're 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 starting to see the makings of a good defense. So we talked about uh, Jesse Bates and you talked about the class of, of safeties that he's in. Uh, obviously, in the division, there's another young safety that's also uh, all pro as well and Mika Fitzpatrick. Uh, if you had to go between the two, which one are you picking and why? I would take I would take Bates. The only reason I would think about Fitzpatrick, but this hasn't really been used, is that Fitzpatrick has nickel uh, versatility. Like at, at Alabama, he played in the slot. You saw that a little bit in Miami. You have not seen that in Pittsburgh because of Mike Hilton, who now plays for the Bengals. Uh, he was mostly a deep guy. Um, but yeah, Bates is Bates hasn't made the mistakes that Minka's made, right? And I think a lot of safety is obviously making the big plays. Um, you guys are probably old enough. Like I, I, if you're a defensive back, like Delta O'Neal is like a really fun character, Facts. but you can't win with Delta O'Neal very often, right? Like the year he has ten picks, he gives up ten touchdowns, and like, <laughs> it, 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 and and he was a corner, and I, I can tolerate that a little bit more out of corners because it's tough, it's the hardest position in football. But at safety, I just can't, I can't tolerate big plays of being allowed. Like it's just not. And Bates, Bates and Simmons are two of those guys that just don't allow big plays. And and that's something that it's worth its weight in gold as a safety position. If you can tack onto that, getting interceptions and stuff like that, then that's pretty damn good. And that's where, you know, I put Adrian Amos in that spot. I put uh, I put Simmons in that spot. I put Bates in that spot. We can't hear you, Zim. Uh I'm sorry. <laughs> new button <laughs> hey uh one thing that you were talking about too and i just thought it'd be fun too i don't know if pff uh, had the good info on it like they do now it's just like someone that we consider like probably the creme de la creme of safeties is ed reed right right did you have any anything that i could say to my ravens friends like on just comparing like Ed Reed to that. And I know it's it's really hard to even compare that because the defense that he was on is a lot better than the defense that Jesse Bates is on. But did you have anything that statistically I could say, hey, look, this is how they compare? Uh, let me look here. Um, is Ed Reed a junior? I'm trying to find Ed Reed in my old data. Um, yeah. Uh, it, it could be like, yeah, I thought Ed Reed would be a really good one. But, yeah, no, Ed, I mean, you know, like, because I tell yeah. people, like, for someone that doesn't watch the Bengals, right, you're telling them, like, Jesse Bates is one of the best safeties, you know, in football. Yeah. The average fan just doesn't understand that. And, um, you know, and I just was just – I just thought that was, like, a good person to kind of, like, say, this is this is someone I can compare. Yeah. That's what's my mark, though, because Ed Reed – So I just looked at Ed Reed's um, – Edward Reed. Jeez. So I'm trying to like, this is why you shouldn't code in public. Um, so 
Ed Reed, so you look at, we only have data back to 2016. Um, and then Jesse yeah. Bates, Jesse Bates is a second, I believe. Yeah, Jesse Bates. Second. Third. Third. Okay, there we go. Third. Perfect. Um, yeah, I mean, so Ed Reed in 2009 got a full win above replacement. I mean, there's actually, I believe, there's a great statistic on Ed Reed. 2010, Ed Reed led the NFL in interceptions despite playing in only 10 games. Wow. And he, he's the wow. only player in NFL history to lead the NFL in one of the major counting statistics despite missing six or more games in a season. So, like, Ed Reed, like, you're talking about, like, seven. Well, well, well sustainability, we, we yeah. haven't even got that with Jesse yeah. Bates. So, I know. But, you but know. like, Bates, I mean, Bates is in that one-win category, too. Like, that that's the thing. Like, the, the hard part is – Reed is such a different player than Bates because right. Bates is doing um, so. Like I look at um, I look at Ed Reed's like um, uh, I look at Ed Reed's like he had uh, six career sacks. He you know he's more he was a free safety, but he was also a blitzer. Right. And like and Bates is more of like a really solid free safety. But look, we're really early in his career, right? That's like he started right. in 2018, and like so. We're still relatively early on, but like as far as value is concerned, um, he is he is like let's say a ten percent within that situation. Like he's a right. very he's a very good player. Ed Reed to me is the best safety of all time. So like I don't know <laughs> they're like in that category. But but but, but, but you got me thinking about it. But 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 like just just putting it in. And I love that metric that you're using where you're just saying, like, that's what I, I, I focus a lot, too, on is, like, impact players and how much does – like, a lot of people put a lot of stock in in players or whatever, and a lot of times I'm like, yeah, that guy's pretty good, but he doesn't change your record at the end of the year. Yeah. So I love the fact that when you go into you say, like, yeah, Jesse Bates gets you one more win. Just like I always talk about, like, Joe Burrow, if I'm coaching the team, gets the Bengals <laughs> six wins. You know, like, I don't know what PFF says about it, but six wins, like Joe, Joe Burrow, like a four. And that, that, yeah, speaking of Joe Burrow, that's that's one question I have for you because we talk with, with other fans around the league. I have another show, the AFC North Talk, that I also do, and we talk about Joe Burrow. Uh, and a lot of Browns fans are ranking Baker Mayfield currently over Joe Burrow. Where do you project Joe Burrow for, like, next season? Is he in your top 10, top 15, top 20? Where would you project him at? And where would you I have, put Baker? I have him in a third, like, so I have him in a third tier with a bunch of guys who I think could go either way. And, and I include, like, this, it's tough because you have to, it's not apples to apples to put him in the same conversation as Tannehill and Cousins and uh, Stafford, guys that are making 30 million plus because I would never choose to pay those guys because, it just made it all the stuff we're talking about, all the cool things the Bengals get to do, all the great things the Chiefs got to do when Mahomes is on his rookie deal. You can't do when your quarterback makes so much money. That's that's what that's like the the big question in the NFL is if you get a quarterback on a rookie deal, can you get to a Super Bowl before he gets before he gets paid? Because after that, it just gets hard, right? We see what happened to Wentz, we see what happened to Goff, and I think Burrow is currently in that class which when you're making a rookie salary is good enough, right? And I think the same things about Baker. Baker got the Browns the second round of the playoffs last year. I think the same thing about 
Like, I think Lamar is an interesting one because you, it's so hard to value his rushing. But he, he, again, is in one of those where it's like, if Lamar doesn't improve as a passer in 2021, do you pay him $40 million a year? Because that, that Ravens team has used 67% of their cap on defense, right? Because they know that the best way to use a, a, a quarterback who's brilliant at running the ball is to be ahead, right? So then if you pay Lamar $40 million a year, you can't pay your defense two-thirds of the cap. And then so then Lamar's behind, and then he's in a situation we rarely see him in. And while I think he's a great talent, we just don't know. And that's a lot of uncertainty. And I think the same thing. So, like, I think Baker right now has shown me quite a bit. I still don't know if I'd pay him the $40 million because we look at all the things the Browns have done, which is – they built him an offensive line. They got him Odell. They got him Jarvis. They got the defense back on track, especially this season. They got one of the best head coaches in football and Kevin Stefanski finally. And that got Baker to a point where he can kind of compete with the Chiefs backup quarterback in round two of the, of the playoffs. You know what I mean? Like that, and, and that shows how high the bar is, right? Like if you're a Bengals fan, you got to be extremely enthusiastic about Joe Burrow while sobering up about the fact that the bar is extremely freaking high. Josh Allen became like John Elway last year, and like he gets to Kansas City in the AFC title game, and they're still at arm's length away, you know? So right. that, that's the tricky thing. I think Burrow certainly has the potential, very much so, to be in that like range where if I look at quarterbacks in the NFL, it's it's Rodgers, Brady, all those guys are going to retire soon. So those are slots that can be filled. Um, you know, Mahomes, Brady, Rodgers, uh, Russ Wilson, uh, Dak Prescott, and Josh Allen. After that, like, it's anybody. I, and it can be Burrow, too. And I think when you look at his statistics from 2020, you know, you had accuracy above and beyond what you'd expect. You dealt with pressure extremely well. Um, the arm strength issues I don't think are a big deal, especially with wide receivers that can get open quickly. So I think he has the potential there for sure. I don't think the floor is all that low. I think if Burrow, if Burrow disappoints people, he'll still be a good enough quarterback to win with on a rookie contract if the rest of the roster turns around. It's another question as to like how well does he have to play for the Bengals to pony up the 40? Because I because you, we've seen it with Dalton. When Dalton was on a rookie deal, that was a steal, and the Bengals were in the playoffs every year. Once that number got high, then then you're starting Cedric Aboye at tackle. And you're, you know, you're starting, you lose Sanu, you lose Marvin Jones, and it's a different ball game. But I think for now, Burrow has the chance to be a top 10 QB, I think. Cool. One of the things I, I was going to get into um, before we let you go is just, just roster construction. Um, this year, coming into the season, like even I'm, I'm preparing for my fantasy football leagues and different things like that. I really love like what the Rams have done on defense. Like their defense is like to me, I love like their defense like on paper, right? But mm -hmm. what are some of the rosters that stand out to you? Um, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't have anything to do with the Bengals, but like who do you consider like some of the the higher tier constructed rosters that maybe have some more sustainability when you kind of project? Yeah, and, and this is so here's one I think that'll surprise you guys. I think the Jets um have done some great things and all and, it, and, it, and it's a and it's a it's a it's a good tale right it's a good tale for the rest of the league because i i always think about i you know i grew up in minnesota i know a lot of vikings fans uh, i like to give them a lot of crap on twitter but like in 2018 the jets made a run at kirk cousins and they failed and 
Um, since then, they've drafted two quarterbacks in the first round. They've had two head coaches, um, two GMs. They've failed in every way possible, every way possible. And the Jets currently are in a better position than Minnesota is. You know, they have a good head coach. They have deep, good cap situation. They have a quarterback who is extremely talented on a rookie deal. And um, that that shows, and, and that's good if you're a Bengals fan and, and they've been down for a couple years. That's great if you're, you know, a Denver Broncos fan and they've been down for a few years. If you if you just continue to take chances at the QB position through the draft, you're, you will, that is the way to win in the NFL until you find one of those top five or six guys I'm talking about. And, and so to me, from a roster construction standpoint, you look at the teams, the chargers are in a great position. The jets are in a great position. Um, I don't necessarily think the Rams are in a great position, but that, but I do think they have a great coach, which should help. Um, the Niners are kind of in a good position, although they had to mortgage quite a bit, uh, much like the Jets did for Darnold for Trey Lance. But I think Trey Lance is a decent talent. Um, I think the Jaguars are in a good position. Now, their coach is kind of a kook, but like that, that could get them uh, in trouble. But, you know, they have good, talented players. They've drafted a lot in the first round. You, when you trade Jalen Ramsey and you trade, um, you know, players like that, you get first round picks and they end up, you know, eventually they'll, they'll do something for you. So teams like that, like any team with a quarterback on a rookie deal, that has that hasn't also like mortgaged their draft picks. Um, I think is in a great position. So the Jets, to me, are one that's I think sneaky and one that we can all learn from. No, that's dope. That's dope. Uh, well, before we get out of here, we have to ask you this: How many wins do you project for the Cincinnati Bengals in twenty twenty one? I have the Bengals at seven and a half or eight wins. Facts. I like. I, it. I actually think my simulation has the Bengals with more wins than the Steelers. Ooh, yes. I love that. Definitely so, love that. I, I noticed I earlier. That, I can't get you in the ball in the Browns and Ravens territory yet. Yeah, um, oh, but good. I do think uh, the we combination a- of, of a good quarterback and um, a, a better schedule and and stuff like that. Like I think, I think the Bengals will be a team that uh, will be fun to watch this year. Right. That's that's my one thing that I, I I've always said. Me and Ace had a conversation before we came on. I said Zach is gone if he's. Seven or less, I'm hoping, right? If it's seven or less and he's gone, then you're, then you're looking at Joe Brady, right? He's just mm-hmm. sitting right there for us, right? Yep. But anything above that, it's it's like all – this is our fun season, like the Browns last season. And in 2022, like we're going all in, pedal to the floor, inside that window that you were talking about earlier. Before you go, I want to let you know about Midwest Barbecue. My boy Ace has got the shirt on right now. You're in Cincy. I want to give you this $5 off coupon. Matter of fact, I have three $5 coupons I'm going to give you. But if you're in the area, please go check out my guys at Midwest Barbecue. Really, really good food. Ace, did you have anything that you wanted to share with Eric before he rolls out? Eric, tell everybody where they can follow you at in case they didn't catch it at the beginning of the show. Yep, PFF underscore Eric. Um, And and obviously, uh, if you are... Uh, a fan of PFF, uh, know that we're just down in, in the OTR. So um, uh, really, really fun to be a, a part of Cincinnati. Facts, facts. Well, Eric, we thank you for your time. Um, and as usual, Zen, we'll have to end this with a yes. Sirski. Hello, world. What separated your deep ball from everybody else? My deep ball, it has a little secret sauce to it, man. <laughs> uh, never get too high, never get too low, but just keep moving. The, the whole story is Carlos never beat me in any kind of sports game. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. 
Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.